Hey, Redline Radio listeners, you can find us every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. For us, golf is simple. It's a chance to get out and have some fun with our friends. But inevitably, little things have a way of ruining it. The group ahead is taking forever. You can't find the fairway with a map. And the Bev cart is nowhere to be found. And the best way to make a bad day better is Fireball Whiskey. You get their nips, the little shooters. They are great. Makes bad day way, way, way better. Make sure to grab the new Fireball Birdie Shot Club. It's literally a golf club filled with Fireball Nip. Put it in your bag. It'll fit right in that side pocket. Drink Fireball Nips and have a great time on the golf course. Anyone with a brain who watched this team the whole year knows that they're not a good team. You look at the you look at the roster on paper, you look at the guys on the ice, you look at the standings, they finished fucking twelfth. They're the only team in the fucking world who really benefited or the only people in the world who benefited from a global pandemic. Like they had no business being in the playoffs, but they lucked out. They're the last twenty fourth place team to make the playoffs. They made it. And, you know, they did a good job and they beat Edmonton in that qualifying round. But it was going to be a different animal when when you played against Vegas and the guys. You know, the credit to the players on the on the ice for competing so hard. Vegas is awesome. They were going to beat that ass. They were going to win the series. Like that was never really in doubt. They but the fact that they you know kept it close, lost every game except for game one. All their losses by one goal. So you like all of that. There's a lot to be happy about. I'm glad they made the playoffs. I'm glad I had a lot of fun the last three weeks. But then it's just like once the season, now that it's over, the reality hits you of what a fucking disaster this team is uh, from an organization standpoint with Stan Bowman and Jeremy Carlton. And that was on full display of the series. I don't think that I've ever seen an NHL team that is that lost defensively. Now, they, what about ahead. before this started? You were like, eh, I don't know. I want to. I don't want to get. I don't want to give myself up emotionally. I don't want to get worked up. Like I, I felt like the vibes going in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So, like, I guess my point is: is it inevitable that they suck you with the playoffs, even though they're the twenty fourth place team? Even though it's like, oh, it's say, hopeless. Say that again. I'm sorry. Is it inevitable that your emotions got sucked in this and you're worked up? Because I remember when this was coming out, mm-hmm. we're like, hey, the hockey, this is real. This is going to start. The Blackhawks are in a playoff series, and you were like, yeah, I don't know. I think I remember you and Ed even talking. Mm-hmm. Like, even if they lose, they could get the first overall pick maybe yeah. that would be better in the long run so it just seems like yes is it once it got going you just can't help yourself you're in the you're in the deep end well, you're swimming with the black well box. even before that like I, I never i was never on board with uh the notion that they should lose that they should just mail it in and go for the 12 and a half percent to get the number one pick like i want to win i like that's just like how my brain is wired winning is always better than losing 100 percent of the time they have too many good players to tank they do they do. Even if this, you know, Ed, your deep fuck you, Ed, with your deep size over there. You know, they have too many good generational superstar statue Hall of Fame guys to be able to just be like, ah, like fuck it. No, like when you you strike when you have an opportunity. This was a gift, and they, you know, that was a growth experience for some of the young guys. It was an opportunity, and it's something that like guys like Taves, Kane, Keith, Crow, like they deserve. They should be in that every year, but they have just incompetent management and coaching that strips them of like almost like their fucking birthright, which is to be in the playoffs and have the Blackhawks be this unbelievable team, and they get stripped of it. So no, when they get in, I want them to win. I want. I. I was. You know. I was so pumped when they beat Edmonton, and I wanted them to beat Edmonton, and I wanted to believe against Vegas. And that is just kind of how I'm wired. Like my brain knows they're not as good, Mm -hmm. but it's like, can Crow do enough? Can Taze and Kane be like, you know, superstars? And they were. That's like that stat. You know, they lost for the first time ever in Game Five. 
Taves and Kane scored in a playoff game and they lost. And they have that regular season stat. Who's the guy from Comcast, Campa or whatever that guy is on Twitter? CM Campa, yeah. He puts all all the stats. They're like, when they both score in the regular season, historically, they're like 83-5-2. It's some like fucking ridiculous stat. And it's like those two guys carry the mail. They bring it. They're professionals. They do it every single night. And then they look down the, uh, not even down the bench, Taves looks, you know, to his left. He's got fucking John Quenville in the lineup. That guy is a bum. Like, he does not belong in the NHL. Certainly doesn't belong in Game 5 and Elimination Game. And you have to take that ice away from Brandon Saad and, a, you know, a really good player away from John and the Taves and put Brandon Saad on the third line so he can give 14 minutes of fucking John Quenville, who stinks. And then Colleton gets up there and he's like, oh, yeah, well, we, he's in the lineup because we really like him. You really like him? The team's been bad all year. You played him nine games and sent him to Rockford. What do you like about him? You didn't like him in, in November when the team was trash. You sent him down. And then you didn't call him back in until the bubble, and there were reports that, that John Quinville showed up fat to the bubble. He's like the one guy who didn't come up and come after a pandemic in shape, and he's the 13th forward, the guy that they have to rotate out to put because Nylander sucks too. He's a bum, so you have to take Nylander out, and you have to put Quenville in. And it's like, what the fuck is going on here? And it drives me just insane because I – like the. From an effort standpoint of the players, I really liked the effort for the for the most part. Highmore, Camp, Carpenter, Dahan, they like those guys. They work hard and they play the right way, and it's just they're doing the best they can. But they they're everybody's been asked to do more than they should, and that's what makes them a bad team. Is that guys who should be on the on you know playing in Rockford, they're on the fourth line. Guys who should be on the fourth line are on the third line. Defensemen who should be playing 16 minutes a game are asked to play 20, like fucking Slater, Cuckoo, and Ole Mata. Like it, this is this is their failure is at a management and a coaching level, and it and it just it just like they're wasting the end of Taves and Kane and Keith because those guys are still good enough, but they're turning 33. Like it, it's coming to an end real fast, and once again, they failed. And this was a year that they tried to win. And you can't, you know, Stan can say whatever he wants. Like, John made me trade Panarin. John made me do this. John made me do that. This was a year that he tried to win. He went out and signed Leonard as insurance for Crawford. That was a big money thing. They go out and trade for Mata. They go out and trade for DeHaan. They, they make all these moves. They bring back Andrew Shaw. They do all these things. It was like, holy shit, like, this is going to be four years, five years in a row without a playoff series win or without even making the playoffs. Stan probably he was seemed like he made offseason moves that was pushing his chips in. We're trying to win. Failure because he can't identify what's wrong with the team. He doesn't know what makes a good team. He's he's lost and he's been lost for a long time and and it came to fruition last night. So it's it's like this it's I have these like conflicting thoughts in my brain where it's like no, I don't expect them I don't expect them to be to win against Vegas. But I expect the team, the organization, to be built better. So, like, they should with with their core. Their core is good enough to compete with anybody. But they can't because the rest of the team, the bottom of the team, is just trash, and they have a coach who can't put together a game plan. They're lost coming back in transition. Nobody knows who to pick up when. In their own zone, they got five guys watching the puck. You got D men standing at the post, and they're passing through them for wide open slots, slots, shots in the slot. It's a joke. It's a disaster. It's so hard to watch. And there's, you know, looking forward, people want to talk, you know, the Colleton and Bowman last night are like, oh, yeah, this is great for the young guys. Boquist doesn't look like he's some fucking superstar. Doesn't. He looks He looks overmatched. Doc looks like a great player. Uh, but it's they just don't have enough. 
and it's they don't have enough because management fucked up. And it's like I genuinely feel bad for the guys on the team who play the right way, who do enough, who are good enough to be at the top of the league, and that's where they should be. If not, if they weren't let down by their own, you know, by their own management. Now you're looking at Ed right now, Ed. We'll get this out of the way here. I'll let Ryan kind of air out and diffuse a little bit because that that was awesome. But you sound genuinely fucking furious, and I've been there as a sports fan. I'm going to let you take a breather for a second. Thank Ed, you. what have you got to say about yourself? Yeah, fuck you, Ed. <laughs> myself. No, no, no. I, I just, I, to be clear here, you don't believe in a tanking standpoint from hockey, correct? No, not not even that. I don't believe you tank when you have Taves and Kane. Okay. Yeah, and I, th- I think your I think your yeah. highlight sentence. It was a great rant. Mm-hmm. Your highlight sentence there was that the boys are about to be thirty three. Mm-hmm. Like there's still time left. Yeah, we are absolutely we are shutting the window faster than letting it close on itself. Dude, you're watching the dog limp around the apartment for the first time. I yeah. Think. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get that. His things are going that. bad a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the, but those guys, it's like, but they're they're not they're not limping around. Those guys aren't limping around. It's like they, it's like they're a sled dog that's dragging a, like a pile of shit behind them, and they're they're trying to run as fast as they can, but they can't because they're weighed down and they don't have enough help. And even a guy like Kubalik, who's like a really like nice rookie player, like ideally that guy should probably like you would hope that he doesn't have to play in the top six, you know, as a guy transitioning into the NHL. He's he's looked really good. But, like, they should, you know, and then you look around the NHL, and it's like Philip Deneau is a fucking star. They gave him away for fucking nothing. Tara Vina, because it was a cap thing. Like, they, there's guys around the league. Nick Letty's still playing well. Like, it's just that they, they've made so many mistakes that have led them to this point where it's, you, you see these guys on other teams and other teams that are better than them thriving with guys that the Hawks turn their back on. And it's, it's, it's infuriating. And it's, you know, we have a plan for this. We're going to be younger and faster. And then he trades all the young and fast guys. Hennis Strolls, a Hartman, you know, Anthony Duclair, all these guys get out the door. And then it's like, well, we haven't drafted a, a defenseman in fucking seven years, ten years or whatever since Jalmerson. Jalmerson was the last defenseman until Bolquist to play regular minutes for the Hawks. They went like, it was like a, it was like a ten and a half year, or ten, 10, 12 year gap of not being able to draft an NHL, draft and develop an NHL defenseman. That is inexcusable. And so then they draft like seven defensemen in a row. And what do you know? You don't have any forwards that can help you out. Uh, young forwards, cheap forwards, other than to bring it. So it's just like they just they just change lanes so many t- so many times. There's no like the it's like Stan Bowman's a drunk driver. Like he just can't make up his mind. He's shifting gears. He's doing this, and he's just and he's an excuse train. And nothing's ever his fault. And you know, and it's like somehow he's still safe. Somehow he gets an extension last year. It, it's it's fucking crazy, and it's it's sad. It's that's really what it is. Like I'm angry and I'm sad because it should be better than this, and it's just not. And it's and it's through. It's just through bad management. And so where do we go from here? That that's a tough one too because the cap's staying flat. You're going to have Seabrook coming back. Uh, you know, there, there's no way they're going to be able to get rid of that contract. So he's coming back at you know six point eight million dollars. Shaw's coming back on the books at three point nine. Crawford's an unrestricted free agent. He's going to need a new deal. Alex DeBrinket's new deal kicks in at six point four. Dominic Kubalik is a you know he's probably going to have to take a one year deal. Uh, you know. He's due for a big raise. He had a nice playoffs and scored thirty fucking goals and was a uh, third, probably third place for the rookie of the year. He's going to get a nice deal, and and then it's like Dylan Strom's a free agent too. So it's like you have all of these guys that you need to bring back, but it's like you're bringing them back. 
that's the same group that just finished fucking 12th. So it's like you're scrambling to like, oh, how do we bring all these guys back for this team? I don't know, but you finished fucking 12th with that team. So maybe you even really shouldn't be doing that. And so it's just like I don't see a path forward. That's my point. Like it's fucking crazy that they're sitting here. You know, we're like everyone's like panicking about what's going to happen, what's going to happen. It's like you're going to trust Stan, who's been a colossal failure for, you could say, going on six years now. So that he's going to be the guy that leads us back. We had Danny Wirtz on, and I, you know, we're trying to build a relationship there. I should have, I regret not holding his feet to the fire. Like, we might have but to. But what have, are you going to do? I, I mean, like, I, don't like, put that no, on you. Like, what the ah, fuck are you like, going to say to but I Oh, Chief, thanks too. so much for bringing this up. And now, in hindsight, <laughs> you know, you, you don't insert I, yourself too much. In I that. don't know, but, like, I wish I had made him give real answers because I know there, be, there, there has to be real answers, and it can't just be like, well, Stan's job is hard. Like, no shit, it's hard. Uh, so it has to be, you know, I, but he also said that they're going to be more transparent going forward. So maybe there's something coming. I don't know. I think Colleton will be fired. Like, I, I really do believe that they're, they're a joke. I've heard things from inside the organization that players aren't happy with them. Uh, I won't name names, but there's like, a, there's, there's a lot of people who disrespect him. You saw Taves at the end of the game where he, Taves he is standing. Snubbed him. What? He snubbed him. Snubbed him. He's standing there giving giving daps and hugs to everybody getting off the ice. This is the captain, the face of your franchise, all that. 20 guys in a row get love from Taves. Colleton comes up, he turns his shoulder, goes to Kane. Same thing with Leonard, too, man. Yeah, Leonard, Leonard is, I think people might have been reading into that a little bit. You think bit. so? Yeah, because Leonard, like, that, like, you shake the coach's hand. Like, Leonard, you know, it's different with the coach yeah, and the players. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Like, I know that that was a, a narrative out there. Like, I was more concerned about the Taves one because mm-hmm. uh, Taves is, you know, he does everything the right way and he does everything with intent. And so, like, you could see that they kind of, like, looked at each other corners. He's like, fuck this guy. And then you saw him in the post-game press conference just looking like he wanted to rip somebody's fucking face off. And it was probably Stan, and it was probably Jeremy. What about the false narrative, do you think? I saw it on Twitter. Mm-hmm. That the graphic showed up yesterday, the youngest team in the NHL. It's like, oh, the youngest team in the NHL. Mm-hmm. We beat fucking Connor McDavid and the Oilers. You know, we, we took a game from the best team in the league. We mm-hmm. Things are on the right track. Like, do you see that as a route they're kind of going to force-feed bullshit? Yes, I do think that that'll be part of Stan's narrative. But it's like, yeah, the youngest team in the NHL. Well, one of those young guys is Nylander. He's a fucking bum. And he traded a good young player, Henry Yokiharu, to make place for Adam Boquist. Boquist was effective. He was bench, you know, scratch one game in the series and benched many times in the series for not being an effective player. Now, he's only 20 years old, but he's not ever going to be. I'm feeling confident saying this. He'll never be a top four defenseman. You can't trust him defensively. Now, could he be a guy that, like, drives offense and makes the team better that way? Like, he, he, he's good for three goals, like, creates three goals and gives up two, and you're willing to make that trade? Maybe. But he's not a guy that, you know, you talk about guys like Duncan Keith and Jalmerson, Seabrook back when, you know, when he was good, that they could do both things. He's never going to be a shutdown defensive player. But you traded Yoki Haru because Colleton didn't like him, even though one of the reasons you said you're hiring Colleton because he was going to be so good at, at developing young players. That hasn't happened at all. Boquist hasn't gotten better. Um, Nylander hasn't gotten better. So all these like kind of high-profile draft picks and trades, and you have this young guy who's going to be able to, you know, supposedly be able to develop the young guys. It hasn't happened. John Quenville's a young guy. He fucking stinks. Um, Kirby Doc looks like the real deal. I'm very excited about him. He needs to, you know, shoot the puck. He God probably got better not because of Colleton. Because he got better because of Patrick Kane and, and himself. And himself, right. Yes. And because he had all the right instincts all the way along. So I, I do want to, like, give credit where credit is due. That was a good draft pick. And, but the Boquist one's not looking like that. And it's just, it, it's, really, it's really hard. It's really hard to, like, look at the team. And, and you know, for a team that's missed the, hasn't won a playoff series in five years, you know, when the White Sox were going through this rebuild and they were bad for a long time, 
you knew like the better days were coming. You had uh, Robert, you us, had yeah. Eloy, you had all these. Blackhawks don't really have that. They have Ian Mitchell, who I really like coming uh, as a defenseman. But in terms of like their prospect pool, it's very average. Like there might be, there might be like two NHL guys. They have this other kid from Penn State, Evan Barrett, who's probably going to start the year in Rockford next year. But he's not going to ever. He's not going to be a top six guy. He's mm-hmm. going to be like you know, kind of like a you know, maybe a better version of Matthew Highmore, who we saw in this series. So it's not like it's not like oh, they're the youngest team, and this is just a natural progression. And next year things are going to be better. No, like th- 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 things could be worse next year. Things could be worse if you lose some of these pieces as cap casualties and things like that. And, you know, and the guy's age, and maybe Crawford comes back next year, just re-signs, because they don't have... That's another thing. They Crawford got drafted in 2003. They have not drafted an NHL goalie since 2003. So, like, they, they've been kind of piecing together back backups. Guys like, you know, Darling was... You know, they picked him up, up off the street. Emery, you know, they've been good at, like, pro scouting, finding these backup goalies. But they... They can't. They can't develop goalies to save their life, and they've drafted a bunch. They draft one like every year. They all flop. So it, it's gonna. It might get worse before it gets better. And you guys know me as like an optimist. Like that's that's like a hard reality for me to to get to. It's time for the Russian. For the who? The Russian. Who's that? Your fucking guy who we want to take in the draft this year. Oh, Askarov. I, I don't know if he'll be there. Well, that's yeah. my hope. Yeah, me too. Fingers that's... crossed. Well, you got some time to think about it. Hopefully, you can <sighs> relax, and I'll give you some some friends over at uh, at Half Day CBD, Chief. I want you to Need check it. these guys out. Have you heard of smokable CBD flower? It's a thing. It looks, smells, tastes just like marijuana. It doesn't get you high though. It's more about the body feel, that nice euphoric, relaxing sensation. You want to sit down. And you just want to focus for a little bit. We love the strains from Half Day CBD. It's an, it's a local Chicago company. They're obsessed with quality and potency. Um, people just love this stuff. It's got the same beneficial uh, effects as CBD as you heard about, but it just smokes like regular marijuana. Mm. It just smokes like flour. You grind it up, you put it in the bowl, maybe you got a, one of these pre-rolls. Their prices are incredible. It's $20 for an eighth of this flour, where typically marijuana prices are going to range between 40 and 60 depending on the type of legal relationships you have with your guy. Another thing. $10 for two pre-roll joints. I mean, this is a real deal. When we talk about CBD, we talk about a lot of the oils, the tinctures. This stuff, this is just this is just power flower coming right at you. Check them out. 30% off. Uh, Redline listeners get 30% off the entire order with code REDLINE. That's good on half-day CBD products, gummies, oil topicals. Yes, the smokable flower we've been talking about. Go to halfdaycbd.com. Use code REDLINE. Halfdaycbd.com. Use code REDLINE. The product's great. Checkout is easy. Shipping is fast. Half day CBD, chief, you'll be okay. I'm gonna hit some. <laughs> How much? I mean, responsibly, whatever they're responsible about. Well, there's like brighter days ahead, and I guess what I was talking about with like the Blackhawks coming back and like just waking up this morning, like I needed a quote from like Mitch. I needed like a quote. I needed <laughs> the Cubs to win last night. Mm-hmm. I need the doubleheader on Wednesday, the one twenty four ten start against the Cardinals. Like you just, it, it is this. Like we're in it now. Without the Blackhawks being in the playoffs. I'd probably be navigating the sports scene and my emotions a little bit better. But now it's just like, we're all fucking in. You're going to take away college football. If they take away the Bears, I'm fucked. And we're like actually knee-deep in baseball. There's no difference to me right now between the baseball season that we're in now in the middle of August as if they've been playing since April. Mm-hmm. Like, we're 15-7. and seven. The Cubs are three and a half games up on the guys behind them. We got the Cardinals in town. Like, the expectations are you go out there and you fucking steamroll them. And I know last time we talked on the podcast, I was very happy about the Cubs. White Sox, Dave was kind of... I don't know. You were you weren't in a White Sox days necessarily, but you were definitely coming out of some Rick Renneria hate. Where are you at now? You know, it's we we've talked about managers in baseball and if they matter, if they don't matter, all the time. Like since the conception of Redline Radio, and I'll say it 
bluntly one one more time, hopefully one more time, I should say. And Rick Renneria shouldn't matter in terms of wins and losses for the White Sox. For that little, you know, seven or ten game stretch where they were struggling, I wanted him on a fucking stake, like Game of Thrones. And we'll talk about that with, with Cap in a few minutes, but it's just like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, these lineups you're putting out are inhibiting your ability to score more runs than the other team, and that's how you win baseball games. He cut the shit, and the team's roping the ball again, and I'm as happy as can be. They're 12-10 and 10 on a three-game winning streak. They got Detroit tonight with Dane Dunning starting another prospect that's been in the top 50 in Baseball America fan graphs and MLB Pipeline and all that shit starting tonight. So, like Chief said, times are good. And we're starting to see the uh, what's the word? The, we're starting to see the flowering of the, of the the seed we planted in 2016 with the Chris Sale trade, and I'm happy. And we're gonna there's a big test coming up this weekend against the crosstown Chicago Cubs. I can't see where they sta- wait to see where they stack up against the best team in baseball. But um, yeah, everything's everything's great until it's not great. But I'm I'm as happy as can be right now. I like, uh, you know, that's some of the old adage where, you know, the Cubs would be a little sluggish and then they would face, you know, a bottom team in the division. or just a little, little Tiger's medicine to kind of get the boys yeah, back. Yeah, and, and it's a weird year, obviously. You're not playing any teams for the White Sox and Cubs. You're not playing any teams from the Eastern Division or the uh, Western Divisions. And so the Sox have to, they have to, have to, have to beat up on the Royals, the Tigers, the Brewers, who I think actually kind of stink the Pirates and the Reds who are underperforming right now in spite of their talented roster. So there's a, that's like half the fucking season right there where you should win, I would say, at least two-thirds of those games. And that's what they're doing right now. They're beating up on the on the poor, the, the red-headed stepchilds, we'll say, of the both the NL and AL Central. And, um, yeah, we'll just go from there. I'm taking it one game at a time. If I mean, there's going to be games where they piss me off, where Robert and Abreu and whoever else are swinging at shit like they were for a while. But uh, everything, as it stands right now, for the last, I don't know, we'll call it five or six days, has been all gumdrops and rainbows. So I'm pumped. I'm really fucking pumped. We saw what Robert did. I mean, I can't say it enough how big of a superstar he's going to be. He's going to be an he's absolute fucking superstar. And... And Fernando Tatis Jr., he's been in the news a lot lately. We've exhausted that on radio and blogs and shit all fucking week. Just make the statement, Dave. What's that? Yes. I'm aware as White Sox Dave, we traded Fernando Tatis for James I'm aware (laughs) as White Sox Dave since I was the one who addressed it and announced it to the world that the White Sox traded Fernando Tatis Jr. for James Shields. Fucked up. That they fucked up. It'd be awesome to have him in the lineup right now as we speak. Now... With that said, it's going to be fun to watch Luis Robert for the next 10 years because mm. he is every bit of superstar as as Fernando Tatis Jr. is, and he plays in a much better hitter's park. He's going to have seasons where he's hitting 40-plus home runs, stealing 40-plus bases, playing a plus-plus defensive outfield. He's a fucking freak. He's going to be a perennial, perennial MVP candidate, and I love him. That, that what about keep, him taking balls from Eloy? I was just going to abs- Take all the balls you want from him. <laughs> keep Eloy the statue that he is in left field. Just keep doing that. Please keep doing that, Robert. Is there any party where you think that's kind of like Bush League? It's not Bush League because that's how bad Eloy is in left field. If, if, if Robert has to play sideline to sideline, play sideline to sideline. I mean, a lot of times you, he won't have to because right field. Mazzaro's not a good outfielder, but he's not a horrible one. 
Uh, they're going to have Engel in left field who or right field who's in a fucking freak defensively. So cheat till fucking left center. Play to the left field line if you need to and steal all the outfield hits, batted balls, whatever to left field that you can from because Eloy's that bad defensively. Yeah. Keep doing it. I don't care. It's not push league. Just keep doing it because you're that much better than him. But I do want to talk about Tim Anderson for a minute. We talked about him last week or two weeks back, I think. With, res- with respect to Javi Baez. And I don't want to make that com- comparison because it's fucking – it's a tired – You want to talk about Tim Anderson or you want to talk about Javi Baez or you want to talk no, about both it, these guys? Everybody wants to compare the two. Like, who who's better? And obviously, Javi Baez came second in the MVP two seasons ago. He's awesome. He's a great fucking up-the-middle player defensively. And he's a spark plug, you know, emotional, energetic dude – like off the field, that's TA. That's TA too. I absolutely love him. He is roping the ball, and he turned from being this like raw, hasn't touched a baseball since high school, junior college draft pick, middle of the first round, into just a fucking awesome, awesome baseball player. He's a fucking baseball player through and through. His brain is is firing on all cylinders right now. There's not a player in fucking baseball I'd rather have leading the White Sox than him. I absolutely love him. I love the kid. Yeah. And it, he's just like he keeps getting better and better and better, and he plays with the chip on his shoulder. Like he, he, even early in the season this year, when Robert got off to his hot start, people were saying move Ta down because he, he doesn't walk a lot. Ta is like, no, no, no lead off's my position. You want to go if you want to go and get Manny Machado. No, 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 no. He's got to beat me up for shortstop. He has that chip on his shoulder. Whether it's Love direct, that. whoever it's directed at, if it's fans, like he can direct it at me. Because mm-hmm. hand up, I was one of the guys that said he was going to be like a lower third hitter, which is perfectly fine because he's a good hitter. But he is a perfect leadoff hitter right now. He's getting on base. He's walking at double clip than he than his career average. Um, and he's just he's look, go look at his batted ball profile. He's Pissing on the ball. Yeah. He's hitting the ball as hard as anybody in baseball, and that includes guys like Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge and shit like that. Mm-hmm. So is it when the ex- when the division's the expectation still? Oh, it's it's absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's playoffs or fucking bust. It's absolutely playoffs or bust. And it's obviously a weird year. Trade deadline's already. Uh, it's 12 days from today at Wednesday when we're recording. It's on the 31st. I think they're going to go out and get a starting arm. I don't know who it's going to be. I mean, people are throwing the names Robbie Ray out there from Arizona. Uh, Lance McCullers is available, I know, because the Astros are kind of punting on this season, might need to retool a little bit. Um, there's there's a few names out there that would be pretty interesting back of the rotation arms that can go and give you six quality innings when you need it. So Innings would never give you club, right? I want to so badly – Send the White Sox, like Rick Hahn himself, be like, hey, go after Club, make it happen. Or Plesak. Either one of them. Because those guys, it sounds like they've worn out their welcome a little bit. I don't, I mean, that's, I'm, ass, I'm not even assuming. I am, I could actually pretty positively tell you that the Indians are throwing all this shit to the media so they don't look as bad when they do end up trading one or both of these guys because they, they want to keep leverage on their side. And they want, if they don't end up trading them, uh, like Carl wrote that blog the other day, uh, they'll have them for the extra year control. And the Indians are a small market team. They don't have a ton of money to throw around. Those guys are going to be getting big paydays when the Indians probably can't afford to pay them. So why not keep them down for 20 days in a weird season, 60 games, when you can have them for 
you know, an entire year in 2022 when they're free agents. So if I'm the White Sox, I'm absolutely calling up the Indians and say, hey, what's it going to be for one of these guys? Yeah. On the flip side, I know it's cleared up a little bit, Carl, but you did throw out the uh, the flaming dog gif after the skid. Where are you at now? Yeah, they they just had lost several in a row, and and the offense was just absolutely terrible. You know, I think they almost got no hit against what uh, fucking Siwoo King Lee. I I'm not I don't know his name. I know it. The whoever pitched for the Cardinals out of fucking mm-hmm. nowhere came out and looked like Cy Young. Um, no, I mean, I think it's that situation where, like, that's that point in the season where the Cubs offense just goes dead. And, you know, and everybody's like, whoa, whoa, what happened to the bats? You know, would you trade Chris Bryant? You know, like, we need to shake the batting order up. You know, I don't really like Wilson Contreras anymore. And you just hear, like, all this variety of stuff. So it's just, like, standard Cubs stuff. I said last week, you know, this is the first time in the history of the podcast I've been in a great mood. And then, of course, I say that they go out and just fucking lay eggs all weekend. And the eggs roll into the St. You know, Louis Cardinals for a little bit. That first game, they've won the last two in a row as we get on the record of the podcast. We've got the two games going today, Wednesday. So... I think it's just those games against Milwaukee when you lose it, you know, you lose Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you just look like a bag of shit in the process. You just kind of got to laugh at yourself. Then you lose that first one Monday afternoon. We've got these weird doubleheaders with the Cardinals where you're playing games in the afternoon. You're the home team. You're the away team. You know, so it's just confusing. You're like, oh, fuck, we're three and one. Like, we just lost four games, and I feel like the sun's risen twice. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we're fine. Really yeah, fast. Cubs are great. Darvish wagon is yeah, fucking growing. Every, everybody's great. Like the, the people are people are performing in the roles they're supposed to perform in. Um, you know, Jason Kipnis has played well. You Darvish has pitched well. Thirteen innings. I want to say eighteen strikeouts over his last two starts. He's given up two combined runs. Um, Alec Mills. Can we talk yeah, about like that? Yeah, like Alec Mills. He, is, he's but here's the thing: is like Alec Mills is currently pitching right now against. He's about to throw his first pitch of the game, so it's hard to talk a little bit about him specifically if he blows up or he's fucking awesome. I'll say going into this Cardinal start, like you get what you want. Like mm-hmm. you're getting what you want. You've got a sub three ERA in 19 innings from a guy that's homegrown, developed. Um, I think traded for him. He came over in some 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 fashion from the Royals. I want to say for the Jorge Soler deal, and he's worked out well. Like, the Cubs don't draft pitching well, so the fact when you do those major league trades and you bring over a minor league guy, like, they're, they're scouting at the minor league level. It's just way better than it is at the amateur level. Mm-hmm. So, um, Alec Mills has pitched well. Bullpen issues seem to be coming to a rest here with, you know, the, the bullpen by committee. Rowan Wick stepped up. Jeffers has stepped up. Kimbrell had a big inning against the Brewers. We'll see what that means. But, like, it's never going to be pretty at the end of games. You're always going to be kind of struggling around. We had that last night against the Cardinals with Sadler and Winkler fucking around the eighth inning, but... You know, it's modern baseball. You have to score a lot of runs to be considered a very good team in today's age. So, you know, I'm to- I'm totally fine with this Cubs team. Totally mm-hmm. fine. And the, the, we haven't talked, like, the Cubs and the White Sox are playing against each other this weekend like a pretty big series. So, um, like, I don't know where Dave's at if, for the Crosstown Cup if he wants to do a wager or if there's anything on the table here. But like River I, jump, like, maybe? Yeah, Something I mean, easy. Yeah, you know, do I'm a five-year river jump. <laughs> I mean, we should announce that, too. Dave jumped in the yeah, river for the old I mean, school listeners. a death stare from you by Dave after you said that. Okay, that's, I'm just saying right now, that's the last time I ever want to hear the word Chicago <laughs> River on Redline Radio or Sirius. But, like, can we even I'm, make it bet? Like, there's a there's a dock yeah. and Ed's got to go to Pure. Like, what, does it even matter if we say anything? Ed, you fucking cocksucker. What What's I the problem? I mean, he, he, I mean, now you can take a victory lap. You were in. He submerged. He got so lucky that a global pandemic hit that we didn't have to travel down to Peoria in a fucking coach bus. He wants to, though. I know. He's a weirdo, so he wants to, because he'll probably interview, like, the fucking dude in the back of the bus that's, you know, all methed out or something, but... That'd be great. I, I, I'm sure it would be. Yeah. Some use fucking a pipe? steel plant guy. Use a pipe? Do you, do you snort it? <laughs> What's your favorite thing about meth? And... <laughs> 
Yeah, but that's... What makes a good I, I just guy. never want to hear those fucking good. words again. Well, you guy. don't have to. Yeah, you maybe. did it. And you're still here. Is nope. it really that blue? <laughs> <laughs> so no wager? We'll see how it goes. I mean, there's other No, series. we'll come up with a wager. We will. All just right. did it. I'm, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll think about it. If you, what, to all the listeners, tweet us and tag the Redline Radio account and the... Here, I'll say this. No one's as creative send, as you and me, like, in the moment. I, well, so I, don't I mean, know why Sarah, don't, turn over don't to... shortchange our listeners. Like, if someone, I mean, we don't have to take one of them, but if someone comes up with a really good, really fun uh, bet for Carl and I that can, you know, draw engagement, be a good video, whatever, uh, tweet it to us, and if we do pick you, we'll send you a t-shirt or something. Did you ever give that guy a cardboard cutout? It sold out by the end of the oh. by the end of the radio show. Was I swear to God, it sold no. out in like fifteen minutes. So that's a no. So no, um, I didn't. Before we do get to cap, though, could I could I ask you one more thing, Carl? Uh, do you want to touch on Grace at all? You had a very popular blog earlier this yeah, week. Yeah, I don't know if it was popular. Well, it I mean, was, it, was, it was it was circulated. I yeah. think some people very disagreed with me. Um, which is the case with you're on. I'm like this is this is what's working for Barstool. Like if you live in Chicago and you follow me and you're a Cubs person, the blog I wrote about Mark Grace is makes sense and it's logical. And then like then you have the blog and it hits the national uh, meaning. It's like what's the big deal with Mark Grace? Like he didn't say shit. So just a recap. Like Mark Grace is has been tabbed to go on broadcast with the Cubs as a third mic, unlimited reign with Len and JD. And this is part of Marquee Network. You know, part of their new broadcast away from WGN. Um, in NBC Sports historically, they're getting into now um, where, like, fucking, you just have Ryan Dempster, you've got Mark Race, you've got these guys on the mic just chiming in with Len and JD. And so Mark Race, who's, like, presumably had a couple drinks over the weekend, told some two-minute, long-winded, extremely cringeworthy story about his ex-wife doing something extremely unnotable. Like, she parked in Bud Selig's parking spot. It was just a bad story. Now, I've been bitching about Mark Grace on the broadcast the entire year, and mostly Ryan Dempster, because I don't want it. I don't mm-hmm. need it. Like, I like a clean broadcast. I want to hear about the players. I don't want to hear about Mark Grace in the fucking mid-90s up and down Clark Street, which has offended some Cubs fans initially. They were like, hey, shut the fuck up, dude. Like, I like Mark Grace. But now, after, like, you've seen what this looks like over a bunch of broadcasts, people are like, maybe I don't really care for what Mark Grace has to say, because he's not adding anything to the broadcast. Like, maybe we should turn Ryan Dempster's microphone down a little bit. Like, maybe Len and JD are enough. So the story comes out over the weekend where he calls his ex-wife a dingbat. He looks like a fucking idiot. He's quoting Archie Bunker. So I put the story up there, like, yeah, he trashes his ex-wife. And then people come back, to like, he didn't do anything. All he did was call his wife a, a dingbat. Like, that's not offensive. And it's like, I'm not offended that Mark Ray said this shit about his ex-wife. I'm offended that he fucking sucks at the job. Yeah. I'm offended that the Cubs are shoving him down our throats. I'm offended that he doesn't have any connection or anything to pass on about the 2020 Cubs. It's just this big nostalgic exercise. We can all sit around and do a big circle jerk and feel good that Mark Grace makes us feel warm and fuzzy so we can reflect on the 90s Cubs, which, you know, to be honest with you, where the fuck is Sammy Sosa? Mm. Like, Mark Grace is like an actual felon. Like, he is a felon. He left the Cubs. He went to Arizona. He won a World Series, built a career, all the stuff around the Diamondbacks, and he comes back and people are like, I fucking love Mark Grace. Now, I'm not saying there's no reason to dislike or, like, like he's fine. Mm Mm-hmm. But we're talking about consuming the 2020 Cubs, and he's I don't fine. want to do that alongside Mark Grace. Yeah. He's fine. He's just not that good at his job. So I write the blog about it, and it's just funny because then Pete, you know how everything is today. You know, like, what the fuck? You're mm-hmm. gonna, like, I'm not even suggesting Mark Grace should be canceled because he called his ex-wife a dingbat. I just think he's fucking bad at telling stories and shouldn't be on a fucking national baseball broadcast. 
Is that easy to understand? I explain that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, you're just more so. You think Len and JD are fine as it is. It's a clean professional. They broadcast. are. They are. Yeah, yeah. Let yeah. Len tell the or JD will tell great the. As yeah, a he'll Sox tell fan. the stupid yeah. jokes, mm-hmm. and Len plays into him. Len's is such a pro. He you is. Know, he's it, got fucking shit to say. He's got good stories. Mm-hmm. He's got data. He knows how to navigate a conversation around a baseball game. Is this like a COVID exercise, you think? Like there's no fa- nah. there's no hot girls to pan to, so it's better- a new network exercise. I know. Yeah, okay. I think they're, right. that's what it is. And I think they're looking for reasons to be like, so that people can be like, wow, I like the Marquee Network broadcast more than I like the other one. So they're okay. using different charts, and they're mm-hmm. just talking about different stuff. Like, oh, here's the expected probability outcome of Jason Kipnis's at bat, as opposed to just showing me like Jason Kipnis is hitting 366 on the year. Mm-hmm. They're showing me like, oh, there's a 14.6% chance he'll hit a single. There's a 0.4% chance he hits a triple. Like, who gives a fuck? Yeah. I see your point. I think there's definitely a place for Mark Gray stories and shit like that. Obviously, maybe not that one. That one wasn't that great. Thing bat probably uncalled for. And but like he's not a good story. He's like not. He's an interesting person. He's not interesting himself. He can't make himself interesting. Yeah, like when people tell great stories, when people have told great stories in the past, they've been better than that. Well, you want him to be the guy that you've heard about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He'll never fucking be Mm that. He's never going to get on the mic and be like, all right, so I'm smoking a cig in the fucking dugout. Yeah, like I I I just had a scotch in the third inning. Like, those are the stories. Right. You'll never get it. So instead, you get this fucking fabricated, like, convicted felon. Like, I'm used to fucking Artie Lang telling stories about how he used to fuck girls on top Mm -hmm. of his baseball cards. Like, yeah, that was a real story told. Mm-hmm. Like, sign baseball cards. Give Mark, give Mark Grace yeah. a half hour at midnight. <laughs> exactly. You know, like that, no, yeah, that's right. what you need. Yeah, 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 that'd be great. It just mm-hmm. doesn't, and it doesn't meet with with the Cubs and their brand and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, all the stuff we've been fed, um, you know, like it is what it is. I, I wish we got a chance to ask Cap about it, but before we do get to that, like, I'm getting all worked up. When I get mm-hmm. worked up, I get horned up, and when I get yeah. horned up, I like Ooh. to take Roman. So, yeah. if someone could tell me a little bit about our friends at Roman, I'd like that. Yeah. So, if Mark Grace is fucking girls on top of his baseball <laughs> cards, he's probably going to want to do it with. Roman swipes. Many guys have tried different ways to last longer, but thinking like thinking about baseball doesn't always work. The folks at Roman, an online men's health company, are changing the game with Roman swipes. It's the secret to lasting longer in bed. Saying the Pledge of Allegiance in your head doesn't work. Counting backwards from Ted doesn't work. You're going to want to use these Roman swipes. Roman swipes are clinically proven way to last longer in bed. They're effective. They're easy to use. They're fast acting, and they don't require a prescription. Roman can ship swipes to you in discreet, unmarked packaging, and each swipe packet is small enough to fit in your wallet for whenever you need it. They're super easy to use. Just take the swipes out uh, of the packet, swipe it on, let it dry, and you're good to go. That's it. Uh, you can go to GetRoman.com slash Redline, and you can get your first month of Roman swipes for just $5 when you choose a monthly plan. That's GetRoman.com slash Redline. Also doesn't transfer to your partner, so you don't have to worry about anything there. Great product. Dave, you love using it, too. Oh, yeah, I use it. I mean, as much as I possibly can. much as you possibly can. That's like part of the experience. You just mm-hmm. love ripping that packet off and just putting it on a little tip. and Yeah, just, hey, honey, one minute, I got to let this Roman <laughs> swipe dry. And then I'll be good to go for the next four to five hours. What's the promo code? How can I get some Roman? You're going to, it's promo code REDLINE. So you go to GetRoman.com backslash REDLINE. All, obviously, all one word, lowercase letters. And that's uh, for your first month of Roman swipes for just $5. Wow. A month of Roman swipes. Imagine you're just going to pound town for a month. You got the nice deal on the Roman swipes. Mm-hmm. You're just laying wood and then, and then all of a sudden you get the call and it's like, wait a second, honey, maybe it's time we need more space. There's a bun in the oven. We got to get a house. We're going to buy a house. We're going to call David Hockberg at Homeside Financial. Yeah, we're going to call David Hockberg at Homeside Financial. And we've been partnered with David Hockberg and Homeside Financial for months now. So you guys all know the drill at this point. But I want to point out some, I think it's called, Carl, you, you're you the 
the studious one of the four of us. Uh, it's empirical evidence, I believe, like firsthand accounts. <laughs> yeah, empirical evidence is like numbers and data. So yes. So last or two weekends ago, rather, I got my dad. William Williams and David Hochberg on the phone, on speakerphone, on my dad's deck. We're having a couple of great tasting, less, filler, less filling Miller Lights while smoking a brisket. And we had, I don't know, about a 10-minute convo. And David Hochberg and my dad went on a call the next Monday, refinanced his mortgage, took his interest rate from 3.65% down to 2.99%, saving my dad about 90 bucks a month on his mortgage. And about a thousand bucks a year. And my dad, who does not know a single fucking thing about technology or anything, had it done in a matter of one phone call. So it was, I don't know, 15 minute phone call, call mm-hmm. it. David Hochberg took care of him, uh, saved him, like I said, a grand a year or so, 90 bucks a month. That's a cable bill right there. So basically, he's paying for his cable bill. David Hochberg is. Um, so that's firsthand knowledge of what he can mm-hmm. do for you. So what you're going to do is you're going to drop him an email and me an email. Um, tag both of us. It's David at 56david.com and WSD at barstoolsports.com. If you're a 22-year-old about to graduate college or if you're a 35-year-old with a bun in the oven with your wife and looking to buy a new home, drop him a line. Ask him any single thing you want about money, finance, the home buying process, and he will help you out. Um, every week he... Uh, people tag me in emails. If he reads your email on his radio show that airs from at 10 a.m. to noon every Saturday morning, mm-hmm. he'll send you a $50 Amex card. He'll buy you a tray of J.P. Graziano's. He'll send you a pizza for a pizza party to celebrate the birth of your new kid. He'll do whatever you want, and um, he's here to help you. So drop him a line. If you're looking to get in the home buying game, he's the guy to go to. He's been in the business for 17 years, and he's the best in the business. You've heard him on WGN. You've heard him on uh, ESPN 1000, you've heard him on 670 score. He's all over the place because he is the best in the game. So drop him a line. That's David at 56david.com. Or you could shoot him a call. That's 855-56-DAVID. And Homeside Financial, they're an equal housing lender. And, uh, yeah, they're the best in the business. Uh, I, I, we love working with them. Yeah, so, you, you know, the only only guy we trust, and that's not bullshit, you trust him so much you sent your dad to him. Also important to note that Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender. Yeah, equal housing lender. I did say that. Thanks for listening. Clean the potatoes out of your ears, Chief. <laughs> um, he also, I will say this too, he set me up with a realtor in Scottsdale because I am looking to split a, um investment property with William Williams right around the new year, and that was a... He set me up with his guy out in Scottsdale area, and that's being taken care of as we speak, too. So he's he's the best guy to talk to with all home buying needs. Davey Real Estate. Check him out. David Hockberg, Homeside Financial. A lot of great information there. Take the next step in your uh, you know in your adult life. Um, all right, we're going to get to Dave Kaplan. This is a big interview for me because I'm a huge cap guy. I love and cap. I'm a huge cap guy because... He really is to me like the the face and like the last of that great strong Chicago sports media personality. And we're gonna he's gonna have a couple quotes and lines in there that like should perk yours up a little bit. But we're talking about a guy who literally is married to the fucking game. Who mm-hmm. loves Chicago sports so much, who like grew up in it and gets to do it. So like when you think about like how much programming this guy does, how many shows he's on, how much influence he's had, how many years he's done it, like where his career's probably gonna be, he's not going anywhere. It's really cool that where we're at in Barstool Chicago and like how much we love what we get to do and this is why we're doing podcasts and all this bullshit to connect with Dave Kaplan. For me personally, this is a great fucking interview. I love this guy. There's a lot of cool stories in there. I feel like I'm talking to like one of my dad's buddies. So without further ado, let's bring in Dave Cap Cap. Here we go. Whoosh. 
All right, we're in the interview portion of today's show. We are joined by Chicago media legend Dave Kaplan. Dave, how you doing? I'm doing great. When you say legend, that just means you're old. You've been around a long time. But it's uh, really cool to be on with you guys. Yeah. I'm excited. We we appreciate you jumping on. You say like legend. When I say legend, dude, I just every time I see you and hear from you, Cap, I'm always just thinking this guy's got to be so tired. Are you tired from being on every program? No, man. I, I'll be honest with you. If you said to me, "Hey, man, you got to get up early to go do the morning show at ESPN 1000," but I've got a ninth grade football game you can call tonight. I'm in. I just, I love what I do. I really do. I just, when you put, give me that opportunity to give my opinion or to call a game, it's just, it's what moves me. It's what I was meant to do. And so, no, I am actually, I think sleep is, I know it's important, but I think it's wildly overrated. Now, you kind of, I don't want to call it an atypical kind of media upbringing because you studied English in college and you you know you didn't come up as a typical broadcaster you scouted in the NBA you coached at NIU for a while in, in hoops uh how did you kind of get into the whole media game and become such a legend because to us you are like the cream of the crop well you're very kind I always wanted to be in sports I was not the best student growing up and I came from a family where My one brother, Bruce, is an eye surgeon. He was valedictorian in college. He was number one in med school, gave the commencement address, and he did his training at the Mayo Clinic. So, you know, he was at a level I just was never going to get to. And I remember distinctly as a little kid, my late father was a criminal defense attorney who had a murder trial in the Supreme Court. My mom was the head of the dietitian, dietary department, she was a dietitian uh, at a Chicago hospital. So there was all this education around. Well, I was the guy that if my brother and I came home from school and you told me the Celtics and the Lakers were playing in a playoff game, but I had a test the next day, my brother, who loves sports as much or more than I do, would say, yeah, I can't watch it. And there was no DVR back then. I can't watch it. i got to study for my test. Me? I go in my room, close the door, and I'm all locked in on the game. Yeah, to screw the test. And you know, I'm a much more mature, different person today. But that's just that's who I was growing up. And I always wanted to be in sports. And the thought of continuing my education beyond college, uh, my dad wanted me to go to law school because he was a lawyer. He said, just get the degree. The thought of going to law school was literally something that, made me break out in a cold sweat. I did apply. I did get in, had no interest in doing it, and got an opportunity to be a high school basketball coach, and it led to being a college coach, and that led to being an NBA scout. And then I got a phone call one day on a Sunday to Paul, who is not very good now. Well, back in the 80s, they were number one in the country. And it was a Sunday morning. It's snowing like crazy. And this guy calls. I don't know him says he's calling from Sports Channel America. That doesn't even exist anymore. And he said, hey, have you ever done television? I was told you used to be a college coach. And I said, oh, yeah, I've done a ton of television. Now, I had never done anything but watch television. That's just a fact. But I didn't tell him that. And he said, you have. Can you do a game in two and a half hours at the Rosemont Horizon, now the Allstate Arena? 
Yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank God. All right, we'll pay you $800. $800 is a lot of freaking money, let me mm-hmm. tell you. And so I borrowed a tie from my dad. We were season ticket holders of DePaul. I knew everything about that team, and I coached against them. So I knew all their players, their coaches, everything. And I showed up and did the game. I get done, and the guy said, jeez, why am I paying a guy's expenses to fly him here from L.A. to call these games if you're right here? I got eight more. I'll pay 800 a game. You want the rest of the season? That was 1987. And here I am in 2020, you know, doing all that I've been able and been blessed to do. And that, that's how I got into it, man. And then sports radio started and got an opportunity. And the next thing you know, boom, there we go. When was the moment that you realized, because you said earlier in this, in your conversation, that you were born to do this, you're born to do this, but you didn't immediately go to it. Was it during that first game where you realized, like, I love this. Like, this is my, this is my niche. This is where I want to be. Um, I mean, I, when I was sitting there doing it, I was like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. But as a kid growing up, I was the guy who had the transistor radio with the little ear plug that you put in. And so I could listen to the Blackhawks. They weren't on TV at home. And I wanted to listen to the Blackhawks with Bobby Hall and Stan Makita, or I wanted to, people forget it was totally different back in the late 60s and early 70s when I was a little kid that if you wanted to watch the Chicago Bears, they were blacked out sometimes in Chicago. And so you had to listen on the radio. And I did that, you know, many times with an earbud in my ear listening to a scratchy transistor radio, but all the time going, man, I would love to do what those guys are doing. That would be freaking amazing to call games, and there wasn't really sports talk. There'd be occasionally a thing on the weekend, and I would call in as, you know, David from Skokie, where I grew up. But, yeah, I, I always thought that'd be a really cool job, and I've been blessed to get into that field. So with all your experience in the field, I just got to know, are you in or out on Mitch? I'm in on Mitch, man. I am in on Mitchell Trubisky. Look, if he doesn't play well this year, he won't be here. And if they have a bad team, there's going to be a lot of change coming to Hallis Hall. That's just a fact. I understand it, and I accept it. But, you know, if you told me they traded for Patrick Mahomes, okay, there's your starting quarterback, or Tom Brady at age 25. There's your starting quarterback. It's not a fait accompli that Nick Foles is the be-all, end-all that we brought here. Now, we may end up having two lousy quarterbacks, but let's not forget Nick Foles, Went to St. Louis. They couldn't wait to get rid of him. Nice guy. He mm-hmm. was horrible. He was in Jacksonville. They benched him for Gardner freaking Minshew a year after giving him an $88 million deal. He was also handed the keys one time in Philly, and they got rid of him. So he's good as a relief pitcher. He's a really good backup. You can't have Chase Daniel as your backup and think you're going to push Mitchell Trubisky. Chase Daniel's a coach with a clipboard and a big paycheck. That was it. So I understand we've got a competition, and maybe it'll be Nick Foles. And if it is, I'll cheer my ass off for Nick Foles. I want the Bears to win. But I am still all in that Mitchell Trubisky has the ability to be a solid. I'm not saying he's Pat Mahomes, but a solid NFL quarterback. You know, if you run the football and you give him some weapons and you play good defense, you can win with him as your QB. How do you feel about the team as a whole? A lot of people seem to like the over in Vegas, which, you know, 
for whatever reason. But I, I just want to know how you're feeling about the team as a whole right now a couple weeks before the season. Yeah, I actually like this team more than a lot. I think some of the Sharps are playing the under. I think a lot of the fans are playing the over, which scares me. But it reminds me of two years ago when going into the season, I thought, that team is a a six-and-a-half win team? No shot. They're going to be way better than that. And I had people, I'm not kidding you, lining up at the radio station from you know, Adam Abdallah to Pat Boyle to Danny Zetterman and all these guys all lining up. And I walked out of there with a lot of their money because I knew that team was going to be a really good football team, good defense. They had a pretty good offensive line back then. But they, for whatever reason, just last year never got on track, didn't have the weaponry that they needed. Mitch wasn't very good. Then he hurt his shoulder. I thought Matt Nagy had a bad year play calling. Like it all was the perfect storm. This year, I think it's a you know fairly solid football team. I'm not telling you they're 16 and 0 Super Bowl champs, but I you tell me that team can't win 10 football games. I'll tell you, I think you're wrong. Well, a lot of that goes back to who you just mentioned, Coach Nagy. He did have a bad year last year, and that was a year after he was kind of like the Messiah of Chicago professional football. And are like we we asked the question. It's kind of a joke at this point in Chicago media amongst fans and the media. Like, are you in and in or out on Mitch? I don't know if Chicago's in or out on Nagy at this point. It seems like it's trending in the bad direction. Like, you know, the the Bears and they're going to be giving the Hallis Hall speech. Oh, we want to win. We're making changes at at GM coaching staff. Blah blah blah. It's do or die for him too. Like, what do you think changes? What changes do you think he's going to make to win ten games and get into the playoffs this year? You're talking about Matt Nagy? Yeah. I think he's going to be a way better play caller. I do think he's going to commit more to the run game. You know, when you play the New Orleans Saints, and I get it. They fell behind big early. I understand. He's like, hey, man, we're 17 points in the hole. You want me to run the football? But there were many games. If you guys rewind your brain back to the start of games, what was the first play? Freaking Tariq Cohen into the line. Like, Really? Tariq Cohen into the line, now it's second down and nine and a half with a quarterback who's playing with his left arm in a sling because he tore the labor a minute. Oh, and by the way, our offensive line sucks. And other than Allen Robinson, who do we really have as a weapon that you go, that, there's a go-to guy to get a first down. And then we go three and out, and everyone's going, the quarterback's horrible. Yeah, the quarterback didn't play well, but he didn't have any help either. So... If they would block better, run the football, and stay committed to the damn running game, and if you get your running game shut down, that doesn't mean that the next series of downs won't be more successful. And if at the end of the year you go, you know what, the offensive line was pretty good. You know what, the tight ends were pretty good. You know what, we had two really good wide receivers, and Mitchell Trubisky was the weak link and he killed us. He won't be here, Mm -hmm. and they'll go get a new quarterback, and I'm okay with that. But let's at least see what this kid can do with an offseason where he is healthy. His teammates have all said, man, I mean, Cordero Patterson yesterday came out and said, I'm just telling you guys, that's a different guy. He looks different. He talks different. He's acting different. He's the leader in here. So we'll see how he plays. It's all in his disposal right now. 
I mean, it's you're getting me fired up. You are. You know, you're giving you're me a little bit of hope. I was down today because of, you know, we're recording on Wednesday morning here after the Blackhawks got eliminated. You know, you have your new show in the mornings. What was what was the mood like uh, from from callers and around the station about the Blackhawks uh, today? Um, I don't think people felt that they were going to come back from 3-0, and I don't really believe most people thought they were going to dispatch the number one seed, who mm-hmm. clearly, clearly was the better team, A. B, if Corey Crawford doesn't play the game of his career the other night, that could have been a 6-2 to two game. He was amazing, 48 out of 49 stops. So I don't think anyone ever bought in. It wasn't like... You know, we were the one seed and we got upset like what happened in 16. We're the one seed and Nashville comes in as the eighth and drills us and we look awful. So I don't think people were devastated. I think people now want to know, okay, we got a taste of postseason. We beat Edmonton. We look like we've got some good young players like Kirby Doc's going to be a stud, I think. What's the next move? Are you bringing back the coach? I'm not sure I would. Are you bringing back the GM? I'm not sure I would. So... I think that's where people are mm-hmm. much more concerned with what is the future of this team. Yeah, I think I think that's pretty accurate. And I think you laid it out right there that it's that's where I am. I, I I'm at the point where it's like I I'm sad and I'm angry about kind of wasting years here uh, of a golden era. You know, it's it's you know you can say the Edmonton series was a playoff win. The commissioner says it's not. And if it's not, then you haven't had a playoff series win since the Stanley Cup in 2015. So you're right. Do you think you know you, you talked about pace and Nagy? Like a, you know, if if it doesn't work out, there's going to be changes. If if, it, if Dave Kaplan was in charge and they don't, they you know clearly like they haven't got it done again this year. You said you're not sure. I'm going to hold your feet to the fire a little bit here. Would would you make a change? Gun to your head. Yeah, gun to my head. If I was in Rocky Wurtz's shoes. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I'm not the guy that's going to have whatever they said, nine-figure losses with an empty building that I own in the United Center, and I don't know when fans will be back in. I got a hockey team with a payroll of $81 million or thereabouts, and I got zero revenue other than a little bit of TV money for the four games against Edmonton and the five against Vegas. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody's buying jerseys. Nobody's eating at my restaurant at the United Center or at my concession stand. So that all said, if I owned the team and I could financially make it work, yes, I would change general managers. I would hire a president of hockey operations, and I would hire a new head coach. Look, this is not the Seattle Kraken or the Minnesota Wild. This is the freaking Chicago Blackhawks in the number one sports city in our country. For me, there's only four legitimate sports markets, Chicago, New York, Boston, and Philly. Don't give me the L.A. L.A.'s a big town. They show up late and they leave early. That's, that's Hollywood. Town. Preach. And there is, there is no town that has the passion for their sports teams like us, New York, Philly, or Boston. That's it. So Jeremy Culleton is the coach of a team that thinks that next year – they're ready to take the next step. Get the H out of here. Come on. <laughs> Put no, it on a T-shirt. Like a Put male, it on a T-shirt. He, yeah, he looks like a male model, as my partner Jonathan Hood called him, standing back there. He looks good, but Joel Quendell's the second winningest coach in the history of the sport. Florida said, Joel Quendell's available? 
here you go, $35 million, five-year deal. In or out? He's like, I'm in. Done. Why isn't that Chicago? Like, you know, we've had some good coaches and some bad ones, but, you know, when the Cubs had to make a hire, they went and got Dusty freaking Baker. You could say you liked it or you didn't. That was a big name. Mm-hmm. Lou Pinella, that was a big name. Joe Madden, that was a big name. Uh, I'm just looking at some of the people that are managing and coaching in our market right now, and I'm thinking, is this Chicago or is this Des Moines? And that's what we're going to get to next. So our bread and butter in on Redline Radio in Barcelona, Chicago, is baseball. Um, no offense to my colleagues, of course, but it started as like a Chicago White Sox, Chicago Cubs podcast. What's it like in Chicago covering the Cubs as a Cubs fan and the Sox is kind of like the little brother of they're kind of pests right now um, fan, but as a media personality that's supposed to technically kind of ish be unbiased? Okay, number one, you guys have heard me long enough. I will never be unbiased, ever. And we love that about you. I grew you. up here. I appreciate that. I grew up here, and I, my life has been, is now, and always will be, number one, my wife and kids, number two, my career. I don't worry about my hobbies. or I like to play a little golf, but it's family, it's sports. That's just who David Kaplan is and always will be. So, you know, as I look at the Chicago Cubs, that's my team. I grew up a Cub fan. My brother grew up a White Sox fan. Now, as I've gotten older and my team finally won, like the thought of going to the World Series after the Sox won in 05 and the Cubs hadn't won yet, if you said, we'll put you in the World Series, but you're going to play the White Sox, you're going to lose. I would rather not have gone to the World Series <laughs> than have them win first and beat our ass in the World Series? No chance. That would have been absolute hell. But now that both my team and my brother's team have won, we both have gotten to the point where it says Chicago on the chest. We're not in the same divisions, at least not yet. So I'm a Cubs guy, and I hope we beat the White Sox three straight this weekend. But when we're not playing the White Sox, why wouldn't I root for them? Luis Robert and Aloy Jimenez, and Tim Anderson, who's one of my favorite players and I've developed this really nice relationship with, and Lucas Giolito, and all these guys that are coming through the system there, that's a fun team to watch, man. So I do watch the White Sox. I do root for them to win, just not over my Chicago Cubs. And that's fair. And um, we, we talked about, you know, Colleton, Quenville, Nagy. Uh, we'll get to Boylan in a minute. But talk me into Ricky Renneria, because I'm of the opinion like managers shouldn't matter in baseball all that much. Um, But Renneria, he's just driving me crazy more and more every single day. Talk me into him. He managed the Cubs for a year. They canned him as soon as they could. Um, But talk me into him. Sell me me a little bit. I don't know if I'm going to, because what I'm going to tell you is I've worked with Ricky when he was on the north side, and I'm doing the pre- and the post game, and I had to interview him a number of times. I've also interviewed him a bunch since he became the manager of the White Sox. He is one of, he might be the nicest man that has ever come through Chicago sports. I mean, if you were around him, you'd be like, okay, that's like the nicest human being that I've ever met. He's just a quality dude. That said... If I own the team and I don't see progress, 60-game season is tough. 
pandemic, I get it. But if you told me after the 21 season, if we get our lives back, that my team isn't contending with all that young talent, I'm making a change. I'm just not sure that he is that good a manager. I'm just being honest with you. Wonderful guy, great representative for my organization. In the end, did I win or did I lose? And if I don't feel like you are part of the reason I'm winning, then I got to make a change. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head with that because, like, I, I haven't had the opportunity to interview him or meet him personally, but he just radiates nice guy. Like in all of his interviews that I watch with you or whoever else he's doing an interview with, and I don't know if that's as much of a compliment as it is like ah, like because like Ozzy Gian, like I don't want to call Ozzy ornery, but he's got this kind of like like this jackass like winner die trying mentality that one resonates with Sox fans because it's a blue collar fan base, and two will resonate in a clubhouse because if you have, you know, 25 or right now 28 or whatever it is, competitors in a clubhouse, like, you need someone to, like, hone those personalities. And I just, I think Ricky Renneria would make a perfectly adequate bench coach, one, because he's bilingual, two, because he knows the game, three, because he is a nice guy and he can kind of be that foil in the in a clubhouse with someone like an Isaac. I'm not advocating for a rehire of Ozzie Guillen, but I just don't think he is necessarily a winner like a Lou Pinella or or a Terry Francona or a Joe Madden, for instance. So I'm with you all there. And um, uh, I guess we can kind of transition to the Cubs on that vein. Yeah, opposite that, like David Ross, are you comfortable saying, like, it was the, the best hire Theo's made, or where are you at on that? Uh, well, the best hire Theo's made is Joe Madden because they won the World Series. And the day he was hired, that club was eight, uh, 73 and 89. The day Luke, or, uh, Joe Madden was hired, they had the press conference at the Cubby Bear, Wrigley's under construction, and the last record that club posted was 73 and 89. And the next thing I know, the next season they win 97 games. No one sees that coming that quick. And the next year they win 103 in the freaking World Series. So he will go down as the greatest manager of my lifetime in Cubs history. But I also thought it was time for a change when they let him go. I thought things had gotten a little too loosey-goosey there, and that's why they made the change. Do I like David Ross? Yes. And, I mean, I won't be disingenuous with you. I would have hired Joe Girardi. Now, he's also one of my closest friends. I've known him for over 20 years. We have the same agent. I adore Joe Girardi. And I thought, man, if I'm Jerry Reinsdorf, I'm firing Ricky Renteria, and I'm getting that guy before the Phillies do. But I like David Ross, and I like the vibe he's brought. And in talking with some of the players, like Anthony Rizzo, off the air, they have said, dude, our vibe, our culture is so good right now, you can't believe it. And that's a credit to David Ross. So if these guys feel like he's getting the best out of them, they're off to a good start albeit through three and a half, four weeks. Uh, who am I to argue with that? He's a great guy. I remember when we signed him as a backup catcher, and I did some shows with him. I went, that guy's going to manage someday in the big league. I just didn't think it would be that quick and be the Cubs. But, yeah, he, he's very, very good. But he's got to win a World Series to rival Joe Madden. 100% agree. And then staying in that same lane with Theo moves, 
with Eloy and Dylan Cease now having an impact at the major league level, where are you with the Quintana trade like emotionally? Is it keeping you up at night still? Do you think you watch Eloy run into a net? You think, hey, maybe the Cubs might win this trade if Quintana, you know, like where are you at on, on the red line with respect to that? Okay, so th- this trade triggers me every time I talk about it, <laughs> but I will just give you exactly what I think, because I would be in the newsroom at NBC Sports Chicago, and we've got more Sox fans that work in the newsroom than we do Cubs fans. And my friend Ryan McGuffey, who you guys know, who's all over the Sox, and he's one of the best at original content, Ryan would walk by my desk and go, you guys need another starter, man. You can't develop any of your own. We'll trade you Quintana. I said, okay, what do you want for him? Uh, Give me Aloy Jimenez. I'm like, no, not giving you our number one prospect. Okay, give me Dylan Cease. No, we can't develop pitching. I'm not giving you him either. I'll give you that. And I think I would have made the deal at the time. I said, I'll give you Schwarber straight up. He's like, no, we're not making that deal. I go, well, you're not getting Quintana to us. And when I heard that we had made that trade for both of those guys, I was sickened. I had said on the air many times before the deal, he's a number three, four starter at best. He's a quality major league arm who will take the ball every fifth day. He will give you a representative performance, but he's not a star. And so I likened it to you go to the car dealer and you go, all right, I got a budget of 150 grand. I want that Mercedes S550 right there loaded. And they take your $150,000 and they bring you out a 2018 Buick Regal. And you go, that's not what I paid for. Oh, yeah. You thought you were buying the S550 Mercedes. Actually, you bought a Buick Regal. It's great to get you to the mall, go get groceries, cart the kids around. But you don't pull up at the country club with the gorgeous woman on your arm and get out of the Lamborghini and they go, who's that? Yeah, that's what you paid for when you gave up prospect capital of Aloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease. You I actually didn't get that. Like the like the Red Sox, they gave up good players, but they got freaking Chris Sale back. So yeah, I thought it was a horrible trade the day they made it. I actually had that in my notes to ask you because um, you you made that analogy. You paid for or you paid the price for Mercedes. You got a Buick in return, and I always that as a White Sox fan to get that small minor victory it was always funny to me. But um, we always do this thing towards the end where we get into, like, you know, goofy, funny, personal questions. My first car was a 92 Buick Century when I was in high school. What was your first car? I hope it was a beater to all beaters. 69 Chevy Nova P Green that I painted with a buddy of mine black and put white racing stripes on it. Yeah. Do you got a picture car. of that car? You're going to need to, like, get that to us so we can tweet it out as a little teaser tomorrow. I don't have a picture of that car. I so wish that I did. How did it? How how did she end up dying? It's got to be some good story. Old, Just, or, old Orchard parking lot. Yeah, so that car ended up dying when I rear-ended somebody on Main Street in Skokie. I was honest to God looking at a girl on the sidewalk walking <laughs> who I went to high school with who was ridiculously hot, and I'm looking at her, bam, right into the back end of another car, and that was the end of the note. Was she wearing Was she wearing a bra as the top like in Seinfeld? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can just tell you that that car. I can't. I remember I couldn't drive it home, and so I had to walk home. 
my dad's like, where's your car? I'm like, uh, that's a problem. It's over on Maine and Crawford, and it's leaking radiator fluid, and it's not going to end well. Yeah. And that was the end of it. Um, who's who's your leader in the clubhouse for the Bulls right now, uh, Cap? And do you think, uh, how hopeful are you? You got the lucky rabbit foot? You think we're going to win this lottery tomorrow or what? You know, I feel like the Bulls are going to get to a better place. I don't think their roster is anywhere near good enough to be a really competitive team, but I do think there's some talent there. Uh, I keep hearing it's going to be Imi Udoka. That's what I reported back in January when it came out that they were going to get rid of guard packs. That whole thing started. This is the God's honest truth. John Paxson walked into Michael Reinsdorf's office in early December, and he said, Michael, we need new direction in this organization. I've had my bite at the apple, and we had some good moments, but it's time for a brand-new approach. And Michael's like, no, no, we, we like you. He's like, nope, it's time to change. And so they went to – Michael was on board. They went to Jerry. They told Jerry, hey, John feels like we have to completely overhaul the front office. Jerry said, as long as I know you're going to be in the organization – albeit in a greatly reduced role, I'm okay with whatever you think is best for the franchise. And so he green-lighted the hiring of Arturis and Mark Eversley and J.J. Polk and Tim Connolly, all these guys that they brought in. They still have more work to do. they got to get more scouts. They've got to be way better in getting impact talent into the organization. I keep hearing that they're going to hire Emi Udoka, who worked with Eversley in Philadelphia. Uh, I wanted them to rehire Tom Thibodeau. And I can promise you he would have taken the job over the Knicks. He loved Chicago. Uh, It's unfortunate that Gar Foreman was the real impediment to the relationship of Tibbs, who I'm not telling you was perfect. He wasn't without some blame here. This was a two-way street. But when you have a coach as accomplished as Tom who had success who the players actually liked playing for, despite what the media might tell you, and maybe had some rough edges, and you could have smoothed those out. I feel like I'm a people person. And that if I was sitting in that office, not Gar Foreman, and he knows more about NBA contracts than me and all that, I'm not disputing that, that I would have been able to say, hey, we're going to go fly to pick some resort, and the three of us are going to get away for a few days, and we're going to clear the air, we're going to figure this stuff out, because you're too good a coach and we're too close to winning rather than, you know what, we're going to get rid of Tibbs or we're going to backstab Tibbs, which they did, and he's going to be out, and then we're going to bring in Fred freaking Hoiberg, who was in over his head from day one. Yeah, I got it. You know, it's like you want to be optimistic because the NBA's just got so much momentum and it just seems like it's the league of the future. And then when you evaluate what the Bulls have in the cupboard, it's just kind of depressing. So like, but if there's any nice thing, like, like Eddie said with the lottery coming up, like your, your hopes can, and the NBA, like one, one lottery pick and your hope can switch overnight. You get the right player. Like Derek Rose, no one saw that coming. And Pax told me, he said, I didn't even watch the lottery because I knew we had no chance. And he said, I was actually reorganizing the drawers on my dresser. And my son screaming in the house says, Dad, we won the lottery. He's like, what? We won the lottery. 
and boom, Derrick Rose changed the fortunes of the Bulls in one second. And, you know, Michael Jordan comes here, changes the franchise forever. LeBron James goes to Cleveland, changes them forever. Now, I don't think there is a generational talent at the top of the draft this year, but there's always good players. Giannis Antetokounmpo went 15th or 14th. If there is somebody like that in the draft, my basketball operations people better know who the hell he is. Don't tell me, well, we're only picking 19th or 12th or whatever the number is. Get the best damn player on the board. Now, if the whole draft turns out there's no one there, I can't hold you at fault. But if there's a good player like Donovan Mitchell going 13, well, what about the other 12 teams? Why didn't they take him? Why did Utah realize at 13, we got to get Donovan Mitchell? Or why did Chris Middleton go in the second round to the Bucks, Or Malcolm Brogdon, second round to the Bucks? And you start going with Draymond Green. I mean, come on. I want my guys to be smart enough to know who those guys are. Yeah, love it. I I love getting cat fired up because I've been waiting to ask you this like the whole time. So who like this is a perfect time for it now. Who sparkles? So I've always been a nickname guy. Like my whole life, I've been Cap, Capper, Cappy. But most everybody, my father-in-law included, calls me Cap. That's just who I am. I've not. My mom calls me David and my wife. That's it. Everyone else in my life, I am capped to. And so I just started calling people, even in college, nicknames. Like, you know, if I saw a guy, like there was a guy whose last name was, his name was Royal. That's what everyone called him. What's up, Royal? I called him Flush. I'm like, (laughs) Royal Flush. It makes sense. And people look at me like, what did you call him? Flush. Royal Flush. Put it together. And so I'll use initials. Hey, what's up? You know, JG or DK or BC, whatever it is. And then somehow I said something to my wife. She was wearing her wedding ring. It was sparkling. I'm like, what's up, Sparkles? And she laughed. <laughs> and then I started using it on the air, calling people Sparkles, Sparky. I have a dog named Sparky, Hammer. Whatever it was, and it just took off, and people will call in, and you know they call the show, and they'll give me, hey, what's up, Snookums? They'll come up with some, you know, this macho guy will call in and call me by some, hey, Buttercup, and it just took on a life of its own, and now that's my thing. <laughs> I love it. I love getting the behind the scenes, because I definitely think that's something like you always see the, you know, you always see that stuff going around on Twitter. And then I was also curious, like... You know, as kind of, I would say, the foremost Chicago sports media face, like, do you have visions of, like, you're going to retire to Gold Coast and just hang out in the Viagra Triangle and sling drinks like Harry Carey was? Like, is it, do you want, do you see Chicago sports media getting back to its roots, or are we truly in a digital age now? Uh, Unfortunately, I do think we're in a digital age, but I will tell you this more than ever, and I had this conversation this morning with Danny Zetterman, our great executive producer, more than ever, we are going to be in a time where personality will sell. Like, if I'm going to turn on your show and you agree with everything that your partners say and you're vanilla and you don't want to offend, and I'm not talking about personally attacking, you do not have to personally attack coaches, athletes, whatever the case may be. He's a loser. He's not a loser. He made it to the major leagues or the NBA. 
He's got to be one of the best in the world. Doesn't mean he's good enough, but it. So I don't personally attack unless you totally deserve it. Like Barry Bonds is a jackass. I've dealt with him face to face, and we went at it. He is not a nice person. So I will personally attack him, but I'm not going to personally attack. Pick the guy. Luis Robert strikes out four times tonight with the bases loaded. I don't come on the next day. What a loser. No, he's not a loser. He's a great talent. But I will be critical of performance. But if I'm going to turn your show on or your podcast or whatever it is, you better entertain me. I don't want vanilla. I don't want boring. I don't want just typical questions. Give me something I can't get somewhere else, and I'll go, that was really fun to listen to. I can't wait till their next episode drops or their next show is on. Yeah, I mean, that's a we gun for because we're just a fork mutts basically spinning our hamster wheels in our brains, and uh, it's resonating with people and it seems to work. So um, we'll wrap up the. Because inter- you have fun. You yeah, make that's it what we fun. do. Right. That's all I'm saying. You can have fun, be first class, be opinionated. There's nothing wrong with having an opinion. Or a take. Too many broadcasters are afraid. Oh God! If I just told you, if I owned the White Sox, I probably would get rid of Ricky Renteria. Okay. If he hears your podcast and I see him at the ballpark, I'm gonna be like, Hey, man, I was just giving my honest opinion. Like, I don't care if a player gets mad at me or a coach gets mad at me. I'm gonna be real and I'm just gonna be honest. You can agree or disagree. You can want to go reach through your radio and punch me in the face. I'm okay with that. You can rip me on Twitter. I'm okay with that. Just please keep listening and paying attention. Amen to that. Yeah, amen. That's how I got banned by uh, John McDonough. So. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> literally banned by him because he I tells the, the truth. Yeah, I got black. He actually, I, yeah. you like to say, Ryan likes to say you can't get in trouble for telling the truth. Mm-hmm. He actually got in trouble for telling the truth. Uh, but we'll wrap up here. Uh, we do this with all our guests. It's uh, your turn to interview us. Do you have any questions you want to <laughs> pepper us with? Um, which member of the Chicago media do you guys, does he either she or he trigger you? Uh, do you laugh at, do you go, I, I could never be that person. At this point for me, it would say, I mean, David Haw had that article on Adam Eaton after I want to say the 2015 season where he called him like uh, basically a replacement-level player that doesn't deserve to be getting every day at-bats in the leadoff spot. And av- after I read that, like, I've never met David Haw. I I was just like, how can this be published? Guy. And I've heard that from everybody. But I'm like, how can this actually be published? Because Adam Eaton is a very, very good baseball player in all cuts of being a baseball player. Um, so, I mean, I didn't, like, like you said, I didn't pile on him, but I, like, I remember tweeting him, like, where did you get this from? Because statistically, eyeball test, whatever way you want to analyze them, like he's really good. Um, so that's a uh, shocking answer from you. That guys. that rubbed me the wrong way, I guess you could put. And I was just like, like mm-hmm. I'm I'm done with that. But um, other than that, no one really triggers me. Dave, I would say, Dave. Yeah, I mean, You're not, I mean Steve Stone blocked me on Twitter because no, I no. Who? I mean, oh, I mean, there's let me, there's, t- let me tell you something. I, <laughs> Like if I've been I'm blocked by Brad Biggs. Okay. So <laughs> that's a weird one. That's funny. Story on that. I've never told the story on the air. I'll tell you guys. Love I'm it. I'm sitting on the set at Sports Talk Live. Sitting in one seat is Jeff Dickerson, and the other seat is Adam Johns, and I think in the third seat 
was Patrick Finley, but it was if it wasn't him, it was another Bears guy. We're talking about the Bears. And I say to these guys, are we going to have another season where freaking nine guys pull their hamstrings because they're not in shape? Do they not know how to condition their team up there in Lake Forest? And John says to me, well, actually, you know that Mark Tressman makes them now pass a conditioning test, and it's really hard. I'm like, how would you know it was hard? Because they let the media take it. I'm like, they what? He said, yeah, J.D. and Johns and all these guys had to do the shuttle drill and the cone drill and this drill and the that drill, and they gave you your time. I'm like, what was Big's time at that? And that's all I said. And I get off the set, and Brad and I at that time were friends. He would come on the show. I get off the set, and I've got this profane message of what an asshole I am for making fun of him. And all I did was make a flip remark. One. Just said, oh, what was Big's time at that? I didn't think it was that big a deal, but he's obviously exceptionally thin-skinned. And the next thing I know, I try to send him a direct message. Blocked. Can't get on there. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are we, are we in high school here? Yeah. And then I call his cell, doesn't return the call. I call his house, leave a message with one of his kids, doesn't return the call. I write him a letter at his email and never respond. I see him somewhere. It was a funeral. I'm walking out of the, it was a wake. I'm walking out of the wake. He's walking. I'm like, hey, Brad, may I have a second? I felt bad. I don't want to mm-hmm. offend somebody. I felt bad. He was a friend. And he said, no, you can't, and I'll never speak to you the rest of my life. And that That's was it. Unbelievable. And so I've moved past it. And the funny thing is I have a second Twitter account that nobody knows what it is. I have zero followers on it, but I follow Brad. I simply got it because I follow Brad Biggs, and I opened the notifications <laughs> on it. So every time he sends a tweet, it shows up on the screen of my iPhone. So I get every freaking tweet he puts on anyway. So Brad Biggs, take that. There you go. <laughs> You're diabolical. That, that's that's. I mean, that's like a level of petty yeah, that I would, went, I would. I went above and beyond to apologize. And if somewhere the guy doesn't accept it, then, you know. You just got oh, okay. It's a great story. Yeah. That is a great that's, story. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, I'll I'll just throw it out there. We don't have to really go into it. Uh, Julie DeCaro. That's where I thought you were. Yeah, going. I, yeah. I mean, we don't have see eye to eye on. I'm not. I'm not even talking politics or anything like that. I'm talking about we just don't see eye to eye on like anything. Mm. So what about uh, Jesse Rogers? I, I I should probably be nicer. So Cap, if you have anything, I know you you talk to him a lot or whatever. I just I'm a diehard baseball guy, so I like to see baseball guys doing baseball coverage. He, he's he's more of a professional. I don't know. Jesse is one of my closer friends. He lives near me. Jesse is a wonderful, wonderful guy. Did he block you on Twitter? No, he didn't block me on Twitter. It's just, you know, like I'm the Cubs guy. I'm always like, is that so, Jesse? You know, he's doing like, you know, he's like, he's like the big, you know how the Cubs media is. You know how it's like all fan friendly and jolly and like, oh, Josh shucks. And so, you know, I see him put stuff out there and I'm like, come on, man. You know, like, let's get real. But that's... If you were around, like, if you sat down and had a beer with Jesse, you'd be like, okay, I'm all in. I like this guy. See, I got to be nicer to people, Cap. I just, like, this is, I'm learning. This is my second year in Chicago sports media. Like, I just probably should be more open-minded and nicer. But, you know, it's just, it's at Southside uh, Napoleon Complex. Be you. As Matt Nagy would say, be you. Love you, Cap. 
Other than that, love you. We'll, uh, we'll wrap up there. Thanks for joining the show. It was a pleasure talking to the face of Chicago sports media. And other than that, uh, we'll catch you soon, Cap. Go White Sox this weekend. <laughs> no, 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 no. They can, they can win tonight against Detroit, but not Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, or the three games in September when you got to play the team that normally fills your stadium for you. And that's the best part about <laughs> Having a two-team town, you get to love your friends one day and hate them the next when they play each other. So exactly. And next time, you, if you ever want me back, you got to get me on so I can tell the Scotty Pippen story about me short-circuiting him being traded to Seattle. Perfect. We're in. <laughs> See you next week, Cap. <laughs> yeah. See you next week. All right, guys. You thanks, tell me Cap. when I'm in. All right. All right. Thanks, All right. Cap. We'll see you. All right. So there's Cap. Love having Cap on Ed. Cap, man, he brought up some. Did he make you feel a little bit about, that there's this is a money issue about the Blackhawks? I mean, they say that yeah. they, it's a money thing, and like they owe money to Stan because John gave him a you know a big extension and unwarranted. So yeah, there, there's complications there, and I don't want to hear it though. Yeah. So I think, what a big story too. Oh, that was great. That was yeah. Now I got a, one quick question for you, and I try to kind of give the color, I guess analysis to hockey because I don't know a fucking thing about that sport. Mm -hmm. That's not something I try to hide. I just really don't. But I'll try to I try to like compare it to baseball. So there's organizations that don't have as I mean everybody's seen Moneyball, read the book, whatever. There's organizations that don't have as much money as other organizations, but they find a way to win. I think one of the very best organizations in baseball right now is the Tampa Bay Race because their scouting and their analytics and their organizational structure is just fucking Awesome. So they'll, mm-hmm. I mean, they'll throw up those stinkers, you know, every five, six years where they have to lose 65 or have to win 65, 70 games. Is that like, is, are there teams in hockey that do that? I know it's that, a salary cap do, sport. Do what? They all have to, like, they, they just draft, develop, and they're mm-hmm. just a machine that way. And even if they do lose guys that are big name free agents to the big markets like the New York yeah. Rangers. Uh, Yes and no. I mean, because with the salary cap comes the salary floor. Um, right, of course. I so, know. Yeah. So, like, Columbus has done a good job of that. I mean, we don't have to spend too much time talking about it yet. But, yeah, like, the Hawks, you know, they're not one of those teams, but they're also, like, a very secretive team. So, like, they don't – there's rumors that their analytics department is not great. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's that's a discussion for maybe further down the road. But, yes, to answer your question, yes. Like, the Blue Jackets are like that. Carolina's kind of been like that. Um, where you, uh, Drafting and developing has – Paid off. So, Cap made you feel better. Uh, Cap and I <laughs> agree more than I thought we would. I like that, and um, and I just I just liked him as a person. I like his I like his passion. I like how he he has the opinion of like, hey, just have a take. Like, just have a take. Be able to run with it, stick with it, and you know, personality matters. And that's obviously what we're trying to do here. So, it's good to hear uh, he guy radiates kind of back that up. Like passion for Chicago sports mm-hmm. just radiates it, and it's there's nothing phony about the dude. Like like you said, there's. There's family first, and then right after that is Chicago sports in his career, which he's the face of Chicago sports media. So it was real uh, honor to interview him, and I can't wait to have him back for the Scotty Pippen story. There you <laughs> go, Carl. That's a the White Sox Dave Kaplan ticket. It's going to run by that phrase. I like that. Family first, sports second. And he opened himself up to actually coming back and like calling a nine ninth grade basketball game with one of us. Yeah. Like he actually said he that. did. Like, yes. So like if Eddie follows up with him, he's like, "Hey, you know the Resurrection JV squad's got a game at 5 p.m. here at 
Park Ridge. Um, all right, what else we got? There's some Bears news. Cordero Patterson had some great quotes about Mitch Trubisky looks different. Looked him in the eyes. He looks like he's here to win. I said this in a book. Cordero Patterson has caught passes from Teddy Bridgewater. He's caught passes from Stinks. Christian Ponder, from Stinks. Derek Carr, from fucking Tom Brady. Stinks. Okay, he knows what it means to look into somebody's eyes. Mm-hmm. So when he says, I look in Mitch's eyes, I see something, this guy broke a huddle with Tom Brady for fuck's sake for 15 games. So I could like, not give a on. fuck. Could not give a fuck. You're in well, you don't like Correll Patterson either. Well, here's the thing. He says he looks good, oh, right, camp, physically. I don't care. Mm-hmm. He always says. He looks good physically. Adam Johns reported he fucking threw a ball that he'd like to have back. Of mm-hmm. course he's going to look good physically. He's playing for his fucking NFL life. Mm-hmm. If he hasn't been hitting the gym all fucking offseason, he, like he's, he's, he's a bag of shit, then that, that's a whole other problem. Yeah. We know he's a smart dude. We know it's not an effort issue mm-hmm. at all. Well, I don't know if we know he's a smart dude, but we know he's a hard worker. Yes. yes. Well, smart dude as far as, like, he knows what to do, but as far as, I mean, in-game play, decision-making, okay. yes, we yes, don't know that. Yes, Correct. Yeah. So I don't we give do a know shit. that, probably. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I, I read it the, kind of the way Carl did, where he like he actually looks different. Like, he's throwing the ball different. And if you, like, the I didn't hear that other quote you said. It was by Adam Johns. Yeah, they're like, okay. oh, there's going to be one. Quarterbacks both had some balls that they're going to want. Mm-hmm. They would have wanted back. Yeah, for second day. And this tramp. But I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying. Too that's early. what I care about. I don't care about how someone looks because mm-hmm. that's the everybody. Someone in every single camp across the NFL, someone showed up and they said, "Oh, that mm-hmm. guy looks fucking unbelievable." Mm-hmm. You're beyond the point where you want to hear about training camp. Yeah, yeah, and that doesn't mean that I don't think Mitch can come back and do mm-hmm. a good job. Like I'm, I'm, you know, weirdly that's probably not Bullish. a word. Yeah, but where it's like, okay, sure, he could come back and do something, mm-hmm. but. Um, I, I, this is just not the argument around so here. Fool, I mean, fool me once, shame yeah, on me. Yeah, yeah. Fool mm-hmm. me twice, shame on or whatever that thing. Yeah, 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 yeah I know yeah, what you're yeah, getting yeah, at. Yeah. I mean, we've we've talked about this since he was at North Carolina. Mm-hmm. He's a fucking underwear Olympics kid. He looks the part. Mm-hmm. I'm sure in a seven on seven in a combine type situation, he will fucking light it up because the physical tools are absolutely there. So it's not like they're playing eleven on eleven right now, and he has to dissect a defense, whether yeah. it's cover two or exactly. man or whatever. That's where he struggles. Exactly. So, like, don't tell me that. Wait until, like, I mean, I don't even know if there's going to be a preseason. Is there? Is there not? I don't know. But wait until he he gets a, at least, I would say, a game under his belt to judge whether or not he's a different quarterback. Correct. Yep. So, sure. I don't so know. That, to tell that, it's just all it's all talking points, I guess, for the summer when there's not much football or not any football going on. So, yeah. what else you got, Ed? Uh, just a real quick note here. Artie Burns, he was uh, expected to, or he was competing for the cornerback spot. Opposite of Kyle Fuller, he tore his ACL. 